Welcome to the Startup Grind Podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest independent startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe in partnership with Google for Startups. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There's no time to wait, so let's begin. Hey all, Chris Jonu, your buddy from Melbourne, and this is the Startup Growing Global Podcast. And I'm incredibly proud to bring you this episode today because I love, you know, the creative side of business, particularly tech businesses, and often overlooked. But you've got to get your brand and your design right and your creative, otherwise people are going to bounce. And we have Angelica Temple, Chief Creative Officer and Founding Partner at Britain Co., who was responsible for their visual identity and the brand across the company. And she talks about not only overseeing the creative editorial and video teams, or you know, a number of creative teams, but also, you know, how to keep your vision in line and in check when you're scaling like crazy. So no small feat. And she's been interviewed by Lindsay Quinn, a writer from the Bay, who was formerly the managing editor of The Hustle, great publication. And it's just an incredible chat. Enjoy doing nice great that's great uh so angelica and i actually know each other we've talked before um and i can tell you guys that she has an amazing story herself uh so i just wanted to get started and you know if you could share your journey and how you ended up at Britain co and um what you've been doing there since. Yeah, so I will try to not take my whole 20 minutes. Um, so I come from a creative background. I grew up always really interested in arts and storytelling and that type of thing. Um, went to a liberal arts school, you know, edited a feminist art magazine and so on. And then afterwards, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. So I traveled for about two years doing artist residencies around the world, um, including one that was a front for a cult, which is a whole different fireside chat. Um, and then from there, kind of realized, okay, I need to do real life and moved to New York, worked at an ad agency for about three years in the creative department, uh, then went on to a startup called 20 by 200. And then basically my husband and I were like, we need to move to, we need to leave New York. We're ready to be outside, but we wanted to be in a city where our careers could still flourish. So we moved to San Francisco and the first weekend I was there, I met Britt Morin. Uh, she was still working at Google at the time, but had her eyes on something in the future. And about six months after that meeting, she called me up and said, hey, you want to grab coffee? I just want to pick your brain about a creative project that I'm thinking about. And when I got to that coffee, she said, hey, do you want to quit your job and start this company with me? And that was Britain Co. And so that's really the story of how I started there. You know, when we started it just over seven years ago, it was just the two of us, always with, you know, the mission of inspiring women through creativity to really take action in every aspect of their lives. So I was brought on to really create the voice and the content. Um, in my role now, I oversee the content teams, editorial, video, creative design, work closely with you know, sales and marketing, of course. And I sort of describe my role, I was saying to you earlier, as I'm like the keeper and stretcher of our voice. You know, Our visual voice has to evolve over the years, so does our editorial one, um, based on the changing landscape of media and all the things we're working on. So, so that's my story. Awesome. Um, and... Actually, if 
I could see a show of hands. Who is a business owner or a startup founder? Okay. Hell yeah. Great. Awesome. Um, so in your experience working at a super early stage startup um, that has scaled tremendously, how have you seen the voice evolve? Um, what have you hold, held on to and what have you changed? Yeah. So... When we started the company, the roots were creativity. It was all about using online tools to get offline and make things with your hands. Um, Britt and I both had this aha moment that you know a lot of people, and particularly women, don't think of themselves as creative. They don't want to define themselves as an artist because they're like, oh, I don't know, you know, I'm not a great painter or whatever. And our whole goal was, you know, even if you only have 30 minutes, there's a way to bring creativity into your life. And, you know, everyone's unique point of view is really valuable. So that's how it began. Um, and then over the years, it really evolved to be about certainly the roots of creativity and finding your own path, but really about every aspect of your life, you know, advancing in your career, taking a creative take on, you know, your home, relationships even, wellness, health, all of this, you know, has to do with that whole woman, um, and particularly women in their 20s and 30s, is our audience. And so that's really how it's evolved. And I think the other piece of how it's evolved is, you know, when we started, it was videos and online tutorials. And again, with the mission changing and even like social media changing, like Instagram didn't exist, <laughs> or it did, but it was very early. Um, you know, how we bring that mission and story to life is really what's changed over the years through events and experiences, through retail, as well as, you know, sticking with the heart of it, which is content. Awesome. So, you know, Britain Co. is obviously a really uh, story-first brand, um, and you have a really interesting story yourself. What would you say to the founder of, you know, an IT startup that maybe doesn't have a super sexy story to share um, and isn't editorial first? How can they benefit from good storytelling? Yeah, so when I think of storytelling around a brand, um, there's sort of a few pieces of it. So the first, of course, is your, you know, your superhero origin story. You know, so even if you've, if you've developed a super niche piece of software or hardware or some product that's for a very specific audience, there's likely a reason that you came up with it. Maybe a friend of yours was trying to solve some particular problem or you were in a role. So there's the origin piece of it and the fact that you, know, you wanted to save time, you want, whatever that is. And I think you really want to hone in on that and find the mission that drove you because you know, even if it's not something that applies to everyone, like you know, editorial content and that type of stuff, it applies to you. And you know, for you to take this risk on yourself and the people that you hire and so on is a really good freaking story. And so, so origin story is part one. But once you've nailed that, it's how do you bring your voice and story to life on a daily and weekly basis with your audience, with your customers, instead of just having a you know about us page. How do you kind of stay alive and vibrant through your social channels, obviously, you know, through a blog and that type of thing, but also through your community and them sharing their stories of how, you know, whatever you've worked on has helped them in their business and so on. Awesome. What's the biggest mistake you see brands making when it comes to content about their brand and their story? So I think... Um, I think the biggest, there are a couple. So the first one I would say is, I think it's easy to forget about the humanity of it all. Um, and I know, you know, there's one extreme version of it, which is like the age of the influencer. So let's put that aside and just say, which, you know, I'm into, but 
the the fact that you were solving a problem is really important and i think it's people want to know that real people are the ones working on the things that they're using so if it's software if it's a game if it's a notebook you know they want to know that someone made that and i feel like a lot of times brands want to talk in the royal we and feel like this like big overarching company that's huge because you want to seem like a big deal and that's not always relatable and, and authentic and I think you can be a big deal and also be like a human being who made some mistakes along the way. That's really really interesting um, that point that you're making how really small startups will try to sound like they have a 500 person call you know room and um, I mean, we definitely used the Royal We right. at Britain Co. at the beginning, right. and then it would just be like, it's just me and Brit here. <laughs> like, I'm shooting on my iPhone. <laughs> so uh, what would you say to brands that want to seem legit, you know, uh, but also want to connect with their audience? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's that the confidence in the origin story and the mission and the way the different tools you want to create to bring it to life are legit, you know, and the fact that, hey, I used this and this is what I was trying to solve for. Not this is like this far fetched thing that I think might relate to people like you need to have real testimonials. You need to work with if you have three customers, get their stories, go visit them, like take them out to lunch and really understand that. And then that kind of just leads to the next part, which is the humanity of it and being really like people want to know what you're listening to on Friday afternoon when everyone's like scrolling through Instagram stories, kind of not doing work, you know, and stuff like that. So what what do you think about you know, just coming back to the royal we, what do you think about a company blog that uses I, you know, first person to tell stories? Is that appropriate? So I think it's appropriate, but not all the time. So I think if you're announcing something like a new feature, I think we is great. Um, I think there's a really great place for first person narrative on company blogs and medium pages and websites, whatever you want to call it. But you really want to call that out. Hey, you know, I'm Ange, I'm the chief creative officer here. Like I have a toddler and I'm going to share a little anecdote about blank, you know, and really set it up so that it's not, you also don't want to bury it either way. Oh, this stopped, but I can talk low up. Okay. Hello. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I would say use it wisely. And I think it's really, people love to hear from founders. They also love to hear from everyone else on the team. Maybe not everyone, meaning that they don't all want to write content and they need to be focused on their actual to-do list. But you know, if there are folks that are interested in content on your teams that aren't necessarily, they're not responsible for that at work, like give them an opportunity to tell a story about something they were working on or I think it's really great to see things come alive, especially like on a company blog, even if you post twice a week or, you know, whatever. So that's really, really interesting also. What stage of a company's growth do you think is most important to invest in content and storytelling? You know, when do you bring on that first hire that's expressly devoted to storytelling? Day one. Um, no, obviously I'm biased, but um, I would say that you might not bring a hire on for a while and it's so unique to whatever your company is. But I think thinking about storytelling from the start is important. 
and and coming up with a cadence with which you want to tell that story. And again, like it can just be on Twitter, it can just be on Instagram. You don't need to have a dedicated site. You don't need long form if you're not there yet. But I think you know, it's really valuable. And again, when you have those few customers and like big fans, really reaching out to them and asking them to tell their story and so on. And, you know, I think never underestimate the power of a content calendar, even if you're not a content company. Like just come up with guidelines for yourself. In terms of guidelines, how, how specific do you need to get with kind of a editorial guidebook? Um, I'm sure as you've scaled, it's been difficult at times to stay true to the voice while growing the team. Uh, how have you been able to build out that, you know, kind of those guidelines? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, obviously because we are an editorial first company, we have a style guide with, do we use the Oxford comma or not? The answer is yes. Um, and those types of things. But as we explore new themes and topics that we want to cover, we do it mostly on an annual basis. There have been a few exceptions when something's been happening in the world, like elections of the past, where you know we decided to take on a whole new topic and a stance around supporting women more aggressively than we were doing so before. And so I think you just need to come up with, you know, is it quarterly that you revisit themes or the types of things you're talking about? You know, also I think creating an environment where feedback is really welcome and encouraged is important because Again, if you're not a content company and you're throwing this content up there, you have to be able to discuss it. You don't want to just have it up on the site and never speak of it again. It's like, what did we learn from this? Did people like it? Did we get you know, thumbs ups? Did we get comments? Whatever it is you're looking for. And really evaluate and then say, okay, we really want to tell that story, but we didn't do it right. So what are three ways we could do it differently? So how do you know when a story is getting traction? Aside from the obvious, you know, there's page views, but just kind of, how do you know when a campaign uh, or a specific topic is really resonating with your audience? Yeah, so I'd say aside from the sort of metric piece of it, so the more qualitative is how much the community engages in it. Do they share a story? I'll give you an example. So we launched a series last Valentine's Day, how appropriate, called Riding Solo. And it was all about you know women doing things on their own. It wasn't about being single. It was just about you know, reclaiming that independence. And so we had different people tell first-person stories. One's a mom of three, you know, one's a single person and so on. And we had this outpouring of stories come in through Twitter and Instagram and so on. And we didn't even expect it. I mean, we say that all the time, like, share your blah with us, you know. <laughs> and it was so cool because it really, really resonated with people. And they wanted to share their stories and they wanted ideas for, like, how should I do a sunset hike on my own, like, if I don't have a car, you know, and, and these types of things. And it was really, really cool. So I think there's nothing better than hearing stories from the people that you are trying to reach about you affecting them. So on the flip side, how, how do you decide, okay, there's something here, but we just didn't execute the story in the right way? How do you kind of, um, uh, how do you bridge that gap and say, okay, we need to revisit this, but in a different way? Um, I think it's, it so depends on the specific example, but I think, you know, Whenever we're evaluating a story, again, as a content company, it's like, does this drive the brand? Does it drive traffic? 
and or does it is it a revenue-based goal, you know, if it's branded content or so on? And ideally it's all three, but at least it's two out of three. And so I think, you know, when we're talking about stuff that's really true to your brand and those types of stories, you feel in your gut that you need to tell this story and the whole team is on board. That's when you know you should keep figuring out how to tell the story. If you were doing it because you just thought it was gonna kind of go viral, and, and that is true, like you need traffic to be a successful content company, that's reality and it just didn't, then maybe you move on. And it's like, maybe people don't care about the Instant Pot anymore. I don't know. They yeah, still can, do, can you, by the way. Can you give a specific example of something, you know, you, your team thought was gonna be huge and kind of flopped? Yeah, so, um, mm, let me think about that one. Define flopped. Okay, I got it. So I would say this is when all you celebrate is the brand piece of it and not necessarily the traffic. So we did an, a, a beautiful series called Future Women of America that was all around um, profiling young women in their under 20 and under who are changing the world. And while we saw a ton of amazing community engagement and that type of thing, people were really, really stoked. It didn't bring in like the crazy traffic goals that we imagined. And you know, I think doing it over again, we've thought about instead of rolling it all out at once, we would roll it out chapter by chapter and really focus on each individual instead of the whole collection of 15 and, and that type of thing. So it's like really figuring out what are different ways of bringing it to life. Or maybe it should have been a podcast, you know, miniseries or something like that. Like what are other ways to tell those same stories? So speaking of that, how do you approach distribution from day one um you know like you said if you're not getting any traffic mm -hmm. it's kind of like throwing things into a void so what would you say to a company that's just starting out and just getting their feet wet in content you know where should they distribute first yeah so we always took a very distributed approach in terms of social and so we focused a lot on Pinterest at the beginning, because which makes sense. We were doing tutorials and recipes and that type of thing. Um, but we always treated each channel differently. So if we're doing an Instant Pot Roundup, what does it look like on Pinterest? What does it look like on Instagram? On Instagram, maybe we're gonna do like a 10 second video that's a time lapse of a recipe coming to life. You know, on Twitter, it's just gonna be like, this is keto friendly, paleo, blah, 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 you know, whatever. And on Pinterest, you'll have the long form with photos. And so we would always treat each content and try to figure out how many legs can we give this thing and to appeal the, to the different audiences. Very cool. I saw briefly that there was a question from the audience that I think was really good. So how do you, like you said, sometimes you just need content to sell. You know, you have to, you have revenue, revenue goals to meet how do you dis disguise a strong call to action uh, without having it feel like a sales pitch? So we don't disguise things. Um, I've been really bullish about us being extremely transparent with our partnerships. And so example being, you know, we work with Scotch, like 3M, on gift wrap techniques. And, you know, it, that's a pretty easy thing to hide, right? Like it can be in the materials and so on. But I just that's sort of like against my philosophy. I wanna be like, Scotch paid us to wrap amazing gifts and show you all these badass tutorials that you can do with really affordable materials and we're stoked to do it. You know, and I think if you're trying to 
hide, obviously, the partner that you're working with, well, everyone needs revenue, but maybe there's a different way you need to bring that partnership to life. What about just um, those calls to action that are to the audience, like, you know, share this with your friends, share your story, that type of thing. How do you kind of keep those fresh and not uh, just like white noise with all the other calls to action? I mean, it's, it's such a challenge and one we're still trying to figure out ourselves. You know, we've gone back and forth about having like enabling comments and this type of thing. And, and what is the point of someone sharing this? We actually just want them to know this story. So we really choose wisely. And, and I think that, that's part of why I use the writing solo example because so many people had stories to share. But if it's, you know, like a simply, simply entertaining piece you know, they don't need to share it, it's okay. So I think sort of use the sharing wisely and also think about the channel that's right for it. We used to always do like share on Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram and, and now we kind of choose one. Very cool. Uh, it looks like we're getting close to the end but I wanna ask one more question. In terms of something actionable someone could do tomorrow to kickstart their content and storytelling, um, what's something you would suggest just day one that they could get started? Yeah, so I would say start thinking about your brand as a human being. You know, think of your brand as a living, breathing entity that has to be nourished, um, that has opinions, that has a history, that has a favorite band from the 90s. You know, all of these things, and it can feel a little hokey, but I think it's a really great exercise to be, because your brand isn't always exactly your audience. Your brand isn't always exactly your founders. And so who is your brand as a person? And I think that can really help guide you in terms of finding your voice and, this, and you know, creating those filters and guardrails for the types of stories that you do want to tell. And then I'd say the second part, which I sort of touched on earlier, is is creating a calendar for yourself. Again, like you might only be creating a blog post once a month, but come up with the 12 months that you're doing and figure out how you're gonna evaluate that stuff. What's the point of this? It's actually just that we wanna share about our stuff, okay. Or the point of this is we want more customer stories, okay, you know, and, and really, again, even if you're on your own, treat yourself as an employee and come up with these kind of to-dos for yourself. Awesome. Uh, I think that's the end of our time. That went really fast. Um, but thank you. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at an event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling. Oh